Church family, if you have your copy of God's Word, let me invite you to turn to Philippians chapter 3. I know I just shocked you. Some of you were open to Jeremiah, but I want you to find Philippians chapter 3 this morning, and in just a few minutes, I'm going to be there. Philippians chapter 3. Some of you know or are more familiar with my story than others, and today is certainly not about my story. All of us have a story to tell and a testimony to share, and all of us know the journey we went on when we were young. Some of you are living it right now when we are young, and we're trying to determine what is going to be the direction of our life, what will be our profession, what will be the trajectory we take, how will we provide for our family. For a long time in my childhood and up into my college years, I thought and had a deep desire to be a coach, uh, more specifically a football coach. I was heavily involved in athletics as a young man. Though I was not a gifted athlete, I just enjoyed competition and enjoyed some success in football in high school and then in college. And that was a huge part of my life, and I enjoyed the art and the act of coaching. In fact, every year when I bring the staff together to kick off the year in our staff meeting, I show them this slide. I did not create this, but it is one that I've used for many years because it captures all that coaches do. Coaches motivate. They coach. They try to maximize their players' potential. They try to develop their players. They want to teach them skill and support them, give them knowledge. And then over time, that player-coach relationship becomes something deeper off the field, and they're able to speak into the lives of young men and young women. In fact, tomorrow I'll travel to Black Mountain, North Carolina, not far outside of Asheville, for the National Coaches FCA Camp, where I'll be preaching to those coaches, NFL coaches, professional coaches, college coaches, high school coaches from all over the country come every year to Black Mountain, and I'll be preaching to them this week. And one of the reasons I enjoy doing that is because I love coaches. FCA shares constantly into the lives of coaches, and our church is heavily committed to FCA, and they always bring out the quote that Billy Graham said years ago. He believed that coaches had the greatest potential to impact a community because of the common language that sport has. There are really two common languages in our society. One we just got through doing. Music is a common language. People are drawn to music of various styles and venues. We all love and enjoy music. And then sports. People love sports, and even people who don't love sports enjoy watching their grandkid play sports. They may not understand the sport at all, but they're proud of their little one. And this is not just male, it's male and female, and it's across the board. And so there's a huge part of my heart that still feels like a coach. It was in college where God clarified my call to pastor and to preach, and over 17 years ago, you gave me the opportunity to do that here, and my prayer is to do it here for the rest of my effective years. However, there are some major parallels between coaching and pastoring, and to be quite honest with you, coaching and any form of leadership, coaches, pastors, teachers, managers, administrators, People who work with other people are positioners. What I mean by that is, is that their job is to put people in the position to do what only they can do. Coaches don't score touchdowns or shoot three-point shots. Coaches don't block shots in volleyball. Coaches can't make pars or birdies in golf. Coaches can't hit a softball. Their players can't. 
So the coach, he or she, is tasked with the assignment to put the player under their care or team in the best possible position to be successful. And is this not true of parenting? It's not true of teaching, managing people, leading a team. And I would just say as your pastor, it is one of the highest callings of my life to, to, to lead those around me on our team to put you in the best possible position to accomplish not my desire, but to accomplish the will of the Lord. And, and, and that's where the coach in me comes out a couple of times of the year where I want to just hit pause in our current preaching series and I just want to tell you how we're doing and what we can do better. And if you're a guest of ours, you're about to learn a great deal about our church, but I think it's so important, especially as we have grown across congregations, soon to be across campuses, and now that we have a large and healthy online audience, I want everybody to be on the same page. This is how unity happens. And the good news is I don't stand before you today in reaction to anything negative. I don't come up here today with a desire to address something that is toxic in our congregation or some problem that has arisen theologically or in relationships. I, I don't have any desire to share with you that we aren't unified. I believe that we are. But if you wait until you're not unified to talk about unity, you've already lost the battle. You have to continue to engage this conversation because alongside of our unity is the great diversity of our congregation. We're all individuals. We have passions and dreams and hopes and strengths and weaknesses. Each of us have our own individual walk with the Lord, and every one of you is at a different place spiritually, and I think that's beautiful. I don't want a church just filled with mature, old Christians because that means we're not reaching anybody, but I also don't want a church filled with immature babies be Christians, because that means we're not growing anybody. I like the diversity of where we are. Now, obviously, my sport of most knowledge is football. And one of the key aspects to managing a football game is the halftime speech. It's a big deal. Now, the higher you go up into the levels of football, you find that it's typically overrated in Hollywood and underrated on the college and the professional level. I've been in college locker rooms. I've been in uh, professional locker rooms as an observer, certainly not as a participant. And, and what you find is that what you see on TV, what is dramatized, isn't always the case on every Friday night and on every Saturday and on every Sunday. But I will tell you that most of the time, coaches are passionate people, and there is a moment in the middle of the competition where they have a chance to regroup, to regather, and to refocus their team. And I began thinking about this because July 2nd, which will be happening before we gather again in the Lord's house here next week, is the halfway point of 2021. So we're going to call today halftime. It's halftime. And the reason that I can call it halftime is because you're doing what players do in halftime. You're just sitting there. The game starts when you leave. I'm working, you're sitting. And that's fine. This is my way of serving you. That's why we call it the service. The 9 o'clock service and the 11 o'clock service. We want to serve you as you are engaged and encouraged to worship and to give and to pray and to hear from God's Word. But you are doing exactly what I've seen every football player do in my life during halftime. Get off your feet, sit there. Are you comfortable? You need a Gatorade? Does this section appear? Y'all need, any, need anything? Everybody good? 
So as we, as we go through this halftime speech, I began thinking, what are the main components of a halftime speech? I asked myself, I said, self, what makes a good halftime speech? There are actually blogs and articles on the art of a halftime speech. You know, everybody's an expert and everything you read online is true. I said, self, what makes a good halftime speech? And in my simplicity and in my list loving, I came up with four components. You thought three, didn't you? I came up with four. And no, they're not alliterated. There's a first half recap. Coach stands up and says, this is what happened. This is what we did. We normally get that when now coaches by contract are made to do that interview at the end of the first half, and they cannot stand doing that interview, and the reporter tries to catch them, and they're always upset. doesn't matter if they're up by 30. They're upset at what's going on. So there's a first-half recap. What, what, what's happened in the first half of the game? Then there's a second-half game plan. Boys, this is what we're going to do. If you're coaching a female sport, young ladies, this is what we're going to do, and this is how we're going to win. And then the coach will always personalize it. And because this is what we're going to do, this is what I need you to do. This is your job. This is your role. And then finally, there's usually some charge right at the end to remember the why and the motivation. Well, I said to myself, self, that will be the perfect way to share with you this morning the halftime speech for Church at the Mill in 2021, a post-COVID year. A year where we all feel like we're beginning to fire on all cylinders. So if you'll afford me the opportunity to give you this halftime speech, I would very much like to do it. Let's begin with the first half recap. Now, to be honest with you, again, there's a lot I'd like to say, and I'm going to share with you some statistics. But before I did, our incredible team decided to condense the first half of this year into this video. Take a look at the screen. Twenty twenty one has already been an amazing year here at Church at the Mill. We continue to see God move and pour out his blessings, and we know he isn't done yet. After a time of powerful Christmas worship to wrap up 2020, Church at the Mill moved into 2021 with a heart of expectation by not only continuing to gather on Sunday mornings, but also through special events. Through our annual weekend student conference, D-NOW, over 200 students and leaders were challenged to follow Jesus' command to go and make disciples. Good Friday and Easter worship led us to the cross and celebration of the resurrection like never before. Shortly after, we relaunched midweek for our students and children, opening the door to continue discipling the next generation. Desiring to have that door open for every generation to encounter Jesus, we also launched a young adults ministry to further engage our college students and young adults at Church at the Mill. This summer, the whole church body united with Kids at the Mill to dig up the truth of God's Word through a dynamic week of VBS and VBX. Our middle school students at the Mill had a game-changing week of discipleship at Somersault Camp in Charleston, South Carolina, while our high school students at the Mill joined Mission Lab in New Orleans for a week of sharing the gospel and being the hands and feet of Jesus. 
and the excitement doesn't end there. Church at the Mill is growing in new ways. This fall, we are launching a new campus in Woodruff, South Carolina with Adam Siski as campus pastor, and we can't wait to see all God has in store. In addition to this, students at the Mill will begin gathering this summer in a brand new state-of-the-art student center here at our central campus. All of this is made possible through your heart for kingdom service and your generous giving. We believe that God alone is the author and sustainer of these new beginnings and real relationships we see thriving here at Church at the Mill. Thank you, church family, for your partnership and support as we gather, grow, give, and go to advance the gospel. It is quite remarkable and amazing to hear that report and to think about what that looks like. Let me just go through some of the amazing things that we have to celebrate. Last week during VBS, we had almost 700 children and 424 volunteers for a total of 1,121. On Sunday mornings, we've averaged over 400 children birth through third grade as we've opened back up to having our full services free from restrictions. Middle schoolers, for example, have averaged 100 middle schoolers each night at midweek, we took 90 students to camp. And the cool story is one of our students came to Christ and another in the middle school expressed a desire to give their life to the Lord in full-time Christian ministry. Our students took 63 students to New Orleans. Five folks came to know Jesus through the ministry of our students. And two of our own students trusted Christ with their life. When we launched the young adult ministry, and for those of you who wonder what that is, that's basically as soon as folks finish our student ministry at 18, graduate high school up until 29, this is a ministry targeted toward them. We're seeing more and more of our students choose vocational tracks going into the trades, and so we didn't call it a college ministry because not everybody's going to college, though that's a great option for many. It's just young adult ministry. It doesn't matter what path you're on, whether you're a young professional right out of high school working or you're someone who's studying in undergrad or graduate. I don't know if you know this, but Spartanburg is one of the fastest growing college towns in South Carolina. There are over 15,000 college students in our city. We don't think about that because we're not located by one massive school like Carolina or Clemson, but schools like USC Upstate and Walford and Converse, Sherman College, the chiropractic school, uh, SMC, all these schools, Spartanburg Community, these schools are growing, and as they grow, the number of kids moving to our community to go to college is growing, and the number of our students staying in the upstate to go to college and to train vocationally is growing. And we need to make sure as a church, we say to them, we have a place for you. We don't want to program well through your senior year of high school and then say, good luck. And so Chris Kerger is launching that ministry with 16 young adult small groups this fall and over 200 young adults engaged. We have four events over the last few months and we've averaged 80 of those folks connecting with our church. If you have someone in your life between 18 and 29 and they want to connect, I encourage them to get to know that ministry. Senior adults also 
are growing. One of the great joys of a healthy church is that there is a diversity in ethnicity and culture and in background, but there's also a diversity in age. I don't ever want to go into a church where everybody's a senior adult or everybody's a young adult. Some of the greatest lessons of my life were learned in small rural churches my father pastored where some of my dearest friends were senior adults even as I was a child. That intergenerational growth in Christ is so important and it's celebrated in the Word. We've seen a steady increase in our senior adult attendance to gatherings for them. Some of that has to do, of course, as they're more comfortable with access to vaccination and they're more comfortable coming out and being in crowds. In December, 100 folks showed up. February, 120. April, 140. And in June, almost 150 folks showed up to our senior adult gatherings 35 new senior adults are volunteering in the ministries of our church, and we have 11 new potential senior adult small groups on track for this fall. It's an exciting time to be a senior adult at church at the meal. Gene Pace, our senior adult pastor, does a phenomenal job, and I told him I'm coming for his job one day. I want that job. See, if you're in student ministry, when you get done, the van's a mess, the kids are out of money, and you're having to keep up with you know that kid. In senior adult ministry, they're there early, they drive the van, they sweep it out themselves, and they pay for you at Golden Corral. <laughs> it's the way to go. I'm, I'm going for that job. I don't know if many of you know this, but we've launched a biblical counseling ministry here at Church at the Mill. It's very important to recognize the need for this. We really think it's intensive discipleship because we recognize if you really care about reaching broken people, you know what they're going to come in as? Broken. Broken marriages, hurting relationships, addictions, struggles. And so we recognize there's a lot of worldly answers, but we believe in the Word of God. We believe in Christ. And we believe that His Word is sufficient to help people, but that doesn't mean that we just hand them a Bible. They need someone to help them apply God's word to their situation. Therefore, we have joined and support the Association of Biblical Counseling, and we have become one of the main training sites. There's some really great news that is only developing. I cannot share details at this point. In the years to come of us hosting national conferences, which allow lay people from the entire southeast to come and to be trained over some intensive weekends. Right now, we have five counselors who have finished their certification. And I want you to know, as someone who's studied quite a bit in my life, this certification is master's level work. It takes them uh, over a year to do it, and it requires a tremendous amount of writing and theological work and mentoring and counseling hours. We have five that are in the mentorship phase, which is the last phase before they become certified, and we have 20 who are working on the exam phase. And when I say exam, I don't mean multiple choice. I mean writing and turning in full-bodied papers that show they have the ability to take the most difficult situations, help the soul in front of them, and apply it to the Word of God. If you have a heart to give people biblical counsel, you should find out more about our biblical counseling ministry. If you're hurting today, know that when you go in our prayer room at the end of the service, you're not walking into just a randomly chosen volunteer. Many of those folks are connected with that ministry so that we can help people. It's one thing to tell people you love them and to throw the doors open and to have nice coffee available. It's another thing to love them enough to wade off into their mess and help them find the redemptive plan out of it. And I'm very excited about that. 
Missions is a huge part of Church of the Mill. Just in the last six months, here's some highlights. This morning, 35 of our members woke up in Montana on an Indian reservation where they'll be doing ministry. My father and a group from his church in Alabama has joined them out there. Some are doing construction. Some are doing backyard Bible clubs, sports camps, and they're excited. We're excited because we want to see people start traveling again. Traveling internationally is a challenge right now. But traveling inside the states has become more and more open. And as soon as we can safely put people on airplanes and send them to the nations, we want to do that. In addition to that, uh, we've had 16 families in our community embrace 89 neighbors in need. This is a cool concept. Many churches, thankfully, will provide resources for a soup kitchen or a food pantry. This is a good thing. But our missions team took a look at that and said, yes, we can have folks come up two days a week and get some dry goods, and we can bless them in the name of Christ. But what if we partnered and got families in our church to build relationships with these folks and to deliver it to their home, get in their life, pray with them, counsel them, and help them? It has been an amazing chapter of the story where unlike before, where we say, you show up, we'll hand you a bag, and we'll pray with you, we are seeing our members go to these places and say, we bring in this in the name of Christ, how can we minister to you? That puts that person's identity as a human being above just checking off the list that we handed out some dry goods. This is a significant step, and I'm excited for those 89 neighbors that we are now ministering to through a relationship. Many of you already know this, but in January, we launched our first ever affinity congregation. An affinity congregation is a congregation that targets a specific group due to culture and language. There is a growing population of individuals of Chinese descent and East Asian descent in the upstate. And so we have a pastor on our staff, Pastor John, who's born and raised and saved in China, served in the church in China, came here to train, and is here on our campus, living in our community, launching a Chinese congregation that meets every Sunday morning over in our missions department on the first floor of our administrative offices. And what began with one or two families is continuing to grow. Recently, they had a public event where almost 20 families came and engaged and connected. And as those families get engaged and we build those relationships, we hope and pray to see people come to faith and those who are believers to be able to connect with a church where they can understand the language and the worship and the culture is not a barrier for them. There are other populations that we have on our hit list as the Lord continues to grow us and grow our resources. Let's talk about new members. Since... January 1, we can celebrate the fact that 150 folks have completed the new member process since January 1. Last year, during a lockdown year, we had 200 people join our church from start to finish. Not 200 people check a card or raise their hand. 200 people who said, I want to join, fill out an application, meet with a pastor, take the class, and sign the covenant. That means that if you add those two numbers together, during a pandemic, God has blessed us with 350 new members. Amen. I, I, don't, I don't have an explanation other than the Lord. I can assure you if you pull back the curtain, me and my team will tell you we'll underwhelm you. We're just simple folks. It is the Lord working in people's lives. And right now, 
We have another 52 who are in the process and are about to take the class. Hey, how about this? Would you like to meet some new members? Jarrett, bring up some new members this morning. Come on, guys. Let's introduce some folks to you. Welcome them. As they come up on stage, I would just like to invite any of you who would like to know more about membership. I'm always available for that conversation, and I look forward to meeting with you when that time is right for you. What a joy it is to be able to introduce some of our newest members to you this morning. In this row, we have Jimmy and Connie McKinney. We have Eric and Madison McKinney. We have Eddie and Teresa Burkholder. Vicki Graham. We have Mike and Angela Bryson uh, Stewart and their son Bryson. There he is. And we have Trip Mabry. Also, we have Mark and Jennifer Elazer and their children, Ben, Alana, and Grant. And there we have Ed and Mary Greenwich with Tim and Troy, uh, Tim and Wendy Troyer beside them there. And there on the end, we have Christian Bowers. What a group. Oh, my Let's goodness. Let's give them a hand. Amen. Amen. You know what, guys? Thank you all for letting me use you right in the middle of the sermon as an explanation. You know, these are real folks. Statistics kind of get lost, but real families who've connected with our church. Many of them have a relationship with Jesus, and we're looking for a church home. Some of them are new to the faith. So you can always say, hey, the day we joined Church of the Mill, we were the pastor's illustration for good, not for bad, right? Thank you, guys. You can, you can be seated. As we think about, sure. As we think about new members, I have to talk about the faithfulness of your giving. So let me explain what I mean by that. Everything that you see around you is not free. It, it has a cost. Ministry costs money. The gospel's free, but getting it to people's lives costs money. And I've always tried to be very transparent with you because I recognize there's a great trust whenever you work hard all week and you drop that envelope in a box or you click that transfer from your bank account to ours or you choose to set up your online giving, there's a trust you are displaying. And I would just say before I give you any number, if you ever, ever have a question about any of the finances of our church, our executive pastor, Ken Fisher, he's around campus all day. In fact, today he was on drums. I think that's pretty cool when your executive pastor can fill in on drums. That's exactly right. I, I, uh, he would love to talk with you. He has spreadsheet after spreadsheet. After he shows you the fourth one, you'll stop asking questions. He will give you more data than you can ever imagine because heaven forbid that we ever lose that trust. Let me tell you what the Lord has done through you. Tithes and offerings are $275,000 ahead of where they were this time last year. Think about that. Over a quarter of a million dollars ahead. When we think about greater, greater is giving to our building campaign. Greater was a journey we went on to build this facility, and we just kept adding to it greater and greater 2.0. So greater receipts are $600,000 more than the same period in 2020. So over a half a million more dollars has been given to our building program over the last six months. When we think about that, in 2016, we forecasted, we have to do that. Banks allow for us to do that, want us to have an analysis of our debt retirement. We, just like you sit down with your husband and your wife, your family, and you make a plan, we forecast if we borrow this much and we pay it at this much, what would we owe in 2021? In 2016, our forecast was that by 2021, 
We will have whittled down our debt. Let me tell you about the debt. We are in a $16.8 million facility that we cut the ribbon on on Good Friday, excuse me, Palm Sunday of 2019. So we've been in this building a little over two years, minus 14 weeks when we were shut down. But a little over two years, we've been worshiping in this building, and this building has this worship center, 20 small group rooms, a music suite, some backstage area, meeting areas on the second floor, and then a beautiful concourse that connects to a new children's entrance with an indoor play area. That was all built in 2019 or completed. $16.8 million. Our hope was by 2021, we'd owe $13 million. As of today, we owe $9.5 million. That's incredible. When God's people get ahead, we save God the kingdom money because we're not paying as much interest. The more we tackle that principle, the more we can be debt-free as quickly as possible. And the good news is we don't want to be debt-free to build more buildings, at least here. We want to be debt-free to do things I'm going to talk about later. We're done here. We have everything that we could ever need from a worship standpoint here we are grateful now to begin to focus on things that are bigger than our campus. If you want your church to die, build a campus. If you want your church to live, build the kingdom. When you build the kingdom, you'll always have the campus you need. But the focus has to be the kingdom. Now, we also had one more need. We have a state-of-the-art children's wing, beautiful adult space, concourse, worship space. Our students have been the Hebrews wandering in the wilderness. Just before the pandemic, I issued you the plans of our church leadership, and you affirmatively voted them unanimously to, to take our gymnasium, Christian Life Center, which was completed in 2003 under the leadership of this church, and to transform it into a two-floor student center. The idea being that we love our gymnasium, but we're not called to make basketball players. We're called to make disciples. And there are gyms available all over. And to be honest with you, we did everything in that gym you could do except play full-court basketball. That was pretty rare. We ate, we did recreation, and we could still do that. And so it's been completed. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's open today. When you leave the service, you can go take a tour of it. We'd love for you to walk through every square inch of it. The entrance was built to match the main entrance. If you came into church to my right, your left, facing Anderson Mill Road, you've not seen it. But if you'll walk to this side of the concourse, my left, your right, at the conclusion of this service, stick your head out the door, you'll see the entrance to the student center is a scaled-down carbon copy of the main entrance. When you walk in, there are now two floors of worship space. This is the middle school worship area on the first floor, which also will now be upfit for an overflow worship space for this room on Easter and things like that, if that's ever needed, because it's a single level. Uh, we can take wheelchairs in and out. There's no steps. It's accessible. You don't have to walk out into the weather. And then there's an indoor recreation area. We left about a third of the court indoor. We have a roll door that will roll up, and you'll see under construction is a big, beautiful outdoor basketball court for our kids to still enjoy, and that will be a beautiful addition in the next few months. And then the second floor is a high school worship center. 
We can seat hundreds of high schoolers upstairs with some areas there for our student ministry offices, areas to fellowship. And so this is a beautiful space, and it's open today. We want you to go in, and we want you to look at it. If you help the Vacation Bible School or VBX, you may have been able to stick your head in the door. We would love for you to go and see that. Early this year, in January, I told you that if we got aggressive in our budget giving and greater giving, that we could do this project for about $2.5 million and pay cash for it. Well, I got good news. It's paid for. Amen. You were faithful. So what that means is, is that $9.4 million debt does not grow. We continue to retire it, and for the first time in the history of our church, when a family walks in the concourse, they have a baby. Normally, they have a baby, another baby, and a baby, third grader, fifth grader, eighth grader, a grandmother. When that family, no matter what their makeup is, single parent, individual student, large family, they can stand in our concourse and walk to a state-of-the-art, clean, modern, warm, inviting, technologically modern space for their ministry to happen without crossing a county road or going out from under a roof. Our students have a space, our children have a space, our adults have a space, our senior adults have a space. Of course, we all get to convene back in this place for worship. That has just happened in the last two weeks. It was the completion of a dream and a vision that people had many, many years ago, and it is a big deal because we believe great things are going to happen this fall when we all know our nation is open and excited to re-engage. And so, you were faithful. If God were to come back today, I'd leave this earth a happy pastor. You've been faithful. Now, I don't want to paint a picture of sunshine and roses and not miss the fact that individual families in our church have faced tremendous struggles, that we know there has been sorrow and loss, that we know some of you in the last six months, while you've seen your church experience a great measure of blessing, you may have experienced deep loss. I recognize that. Church has to be a place where you can come in and celebrate corporate wins. I don't mean corporate business. I mean corporate as in the body of Christ. But there's also room for you to work through your losses and your struggles. And that's why you can't keep your focus just on the first half. You, you have to really think about what the second half is going to be. So if you'll allow me, let me give you the second half game plan. What are we going to do the next six months at church at the mill? Just a few highlights. First, we want to finish our summer strong. If you're brand new to the church, you, you may not know this, but the leadership of this church has extended incredible grace to me. Over the last five years, they've given me the privilege of taking the month of July as a sabbatical. I'm working on a second book. I've got some writing I want to do. I want to rest with my family. I want to see. I have an ailing grandfather who's in the hospital today. You can pray for him, but I want to go see him. And so over the next four Sundays, you have some dynamic and incredible guest speakers. Now, I know you're Baptists. That means you think, oh, the cat's away. <laughs> I actually had a deacon tell me that once. I said, I'm so thankful for the monthly sabbatical, annual sabbatical you give me. Some pastors take six months every five years. If I took six months off, Laurel and I would be in the counseling ministry. 
She don't want me around the house for six months. I wouldn't know what to do. I would pop. It works good for me. It's a good rhythm. One old deacon said, son, it's all right for you to be gone in July. Most of your members are. <laughs> don't you be that way. Two things I want to say about that. Number one, we have some dynamic preachers, dynamic preachers. Number two, we have cameras that work both ways. We've invested in digital face recognition software. We know. We know. I'm excited about that time, and I want us to finish the summer strong. And then there's August 22nd. August 22nd will change the future of our church. In February of 1988, around 30 people gathered in the living room of what is now late Reverend Ford and Miss Sarah Loudermilk. Miss Sarah went home to be with the Lord this last year. The last thing she ever did on this church campus is cut the ribbon on this stage in 2019. Never was able to come back to church again. The Lord gave her strength to come that day, which was supernatural. And now she's with Jesus. But they started a church in 1988, which by church standards is not that many years ago. And they had a desire to create a place where people could engage the gospel. If you want anything to die, let it be pregnant and not give birth. The absolute necessity of anything that's pregnant is that it must give birth. And if it does not give birth, not only will it die, but the child inside of it will die. Churches like ours die all the time because God has blessed them with growth, with spiritual pregnancy, and yet they never give birth. Here's what we could do. We could say we got a great staff, we got a pastor who's committed, you tolerate him. We, we got a wonderful group of members, we got guests coming in, now we have a beautiful facility that's complete. We're good, we're good. Let's just lock it in execute our programs, have our services, preach through books of the Bible, brag on our church, give out a new T-shirt every 18 months, maybe replace the back windshield stickers from time to time with new logo wear. We're good. And if we do that, I promise you this is what will happen. Like every other mega church, we'll make a 10 to 15-year run, and then as our staff ages, as our core leaders age, as our community changes, We'll see our growth look just like the growth of so many churches in North America. It will be basically a bell curve on its way down. The only churches that overcome this overcome it not by finding some innovative program or changing the pastor every five years or redoing the music or the graphics. No, no, no. They overcome it by giving birth. On August 22nd, we're launching our first campus off this campus in Woodruff. The sign is up. This is what the building looks like if you drive through town today. If you're brand new, I don't have time to recount the incredible story, but long story short, we cast a vision just before COVID that we would now become a church for the entire upstate, and we would start looking at communities where we could go in and do work in ministry alongside the churches that exist there. We have no desire to compete with anybody. I laid that out, and people were excited, and a pandemic hit. 
Like everybody else, our church said, okay, we need to survive this. And we did more than survive. We thrived through your faithfulness. You saw the fruit of it, 350 new faces during the pandemic. I still felt like we were 24 months away from being able to re-engage this conversation. And then in January, a dear friend of mine called me, who was pastoring a congregation in Woodruff called Element, and said, we want to talk. And these incredibly courageous people felt like they had run the race as far as they could run, and they were willing to hand us over access to their facility to join our efforts. Many of those folks, that certainly wasn't forced, it's their decision, but many of those folks are becoming members of Church at the Mill. The pastor and his wife are, and they're going to assume roles of servanthood and helping. And we suddenly had a campus land in our lap in a community that's going to see 2,000 new homes already projected to be built. Now, when this, when this happens... It just reminds us that it's not that we are asking God to join our agenda. We're on his agenda. And and, and the vision is simple. How many people do you need at one campus? Have you set at the light? I don't believe the upstate needs a campus with 10,000 people on it. I think people are more in tune with their community. I think there's a return back. I used to say young people like me, but now that I'm 43, the generation under me in their 20s and 30s like the idea of a community church. They like the idea of connecting with people. This is what's happening. Developers are building these communities because that's what people are looking for. They're moving to these bedroom communities, and we've seen this all over the United States, and we have an influx of people moving to our state due to conservative leadership and the opportunity to enjoy the freedoms that make our country what it was and hope what it will continue to be. And so we've seen this over and over and over again. And so the vision is... We could camp right here and keep buying land contiguously and keep building after building after building after building, but that not only builds the church off of one campus, it builds the communication off of one personality. Well, that doesn't pass the dump truck test. Heaven forbid, what if I'm hit by a dump truck today? All of a sudden, not one campus, but many are without their communicator. That's not healthy nor biblical, which is why we're not doing it via simulcast. We want to raise up the next generation of young preachers and pastors and give them the opportunity to preach and to grow so that people can know their pastor and walk through life with them. And so we had one ready, Adam Siski, and that launch is going to happen. And because that launch is going to happen, we're beginning with that first place. So if you think about it, August 22nd will be three congregations, the congregation that meets here, the congregation that meets in Woodruff, and as I said a few moments ago, our Chinese congregation that is slowly and importantly, faithfully developing as they build a network of, of people with them. I foresee congregations all over this community that will be like that. And as long as we're sending people, we have 200 folks in our church today with Woodruff zip codes. As long as we're sending people, it's going to keep us sharper. It's going to make us stay lean. It's going to make us be good stewards of our resources. The Sunday before August 22nd, you're going to be blown away when this stage is filled with people who are leaving. Not leaving the kingdom, not leaving our church, not leaving our lives, but who are going to do Sundays and midweek down in that community to love on those folks. And who knows, it may be you one day. Perhaps you live in Inman or 
on the east side of Spartanburg or toward Five Forks or up toward Packlet, wherever you may live, it may very well be that God opens a door for us to have a campus there to reach people who can't drive here and you go be a part of that. The measuring stick of a healthy church is not how many people it seats, it's how many people it sends. And the real measuring stick for me is not how we brag on what God did back in the 2010s and the 2020s. How many churches will exist 100 years from now because our church existed? Christians have shelf lives. I'm going to die one day and so are you. Churches do too. When's the last time you heard of a Bible conference at Philippi or Colossae? Those first century churches were very significant. We still share about them today. But churches and people have shelf lives. The kingdom does not. And so when we make it about the kingdom, then by default, we'll always be healthy here. When we think about that, we also think about September 12th when small groups launch. We are hurting because we don't have small groups launched. I know that, and I want so badly to see them launched, and we're working really hard to launch them Healthy, multiplying small groups protect and promote the health of a church. If you've never been engaged in a small group, you have to do that if you want to connect with our church on a meaningful level beyond Sunday morning. We're writing a curriculum that every small group is going to go through called the Joy of Community, appropriately through the book of Philippians. We're all going to be together in small group, walking through the same vision the first semester to make sure we hit reset correctly. When small groups launch in September, it will have been 540 days since small groups could meet consistently at Church at the Mill. And I believe at this point God has protected us, but if that were to continue, the fabric of our church would begin to fall apart. And so I'm excited about that. And then we want an intentional holiday season. We want to leverage Thanksgiving and Christmas to invite our friends and loved ones Let's finish up with talking about your job. What I need you to do, what's your job? Well, if you're watching online, I want you to look at me close. I told the camera guys to zoom in. I exfoliated this morning. <laughs> if you're online because you physically cannot get out, you're one of our precious senior adults, our shut-ins. Maybe you're out of town today earning a living for your family. Maybe you're taking a much-needed vacation. Then we rejoice Perhaps you live in another community and you connect with a church locally, but you love to watch our services, then this message is not for you. But if you're online and you know you don't have to be, you don't need to be. We need you back. If you're living your life in public, if you're not afraid to go to work and go to play and spend time in a ball field and enjoy places that you go, then you can no longer hide behind the excuse of a pandemic to not get up on Sundays and send the message to your family and to your Lord that his day matters. We want you back with us. Remember, you can watch a service online. You cannot attend church online. Those are two different things. We love you and we want you back because when you come, you bless us with your presence, which might be the encouragement the person sitting next to you needs. Do you know that in any given Sunday, on any given service, it might not be what Pastor DJ says. It might be that encouraging wording of prayer, of empathy that you receive from the person sitting next to you that makes all the difference in the world. So come back. If you're a guest, make a decision. If this is going to be your church, join. If not, go find your church. Don't be a perennial guest. Get off the wagon and pull some rope. 
Help us. Help us make a difference in this community. We want you to be slow about joining. We don't want people to make flippant decisions. But if you've been visiting us for a long, long time, put a ring on it. <laughs> we want you to begin our membership process. And if you're a member, just live out our vision. What's our vision? Gather, grow, give, go. It's real simple. For members, we want you to gather in small group. You're already gathering in worship. Make a decision today. Blow through every excuse. I will be engaged in a small group this fall. We're going to do many sign-ups and many promotions. Grow, spend time with the Lord. I know I often tell you this, but when people come to me and say, Pastor, what can I do for our church? What can I do for you? Well, there's a lot of things you can do, and we're grateful for every one of them. But the greatest thing you could ever do for your church is to be with your Savior. Because if you're with your Savior, Savior privately, then you'll be what we need you to be publicly. Give. I know I shared some amazing numbers, but we need a financial bump. You know, I told you that Woodruff campus came to us in January. Well, we budget in October and November. To launch that campus is probably around $300,000 we weren't planning to spend. We would really not like to dip into our savings to do that. Now, I have talked to a few people who have been hurt economically because of this pandemic, but more people in our church are busier than they've ever been. Listen, if God has stimulated your bank account, stimulate the kingdom. If God is allowing you to make money, if God is allowing you to provide for your family, help us close the gap. I've been meeting with some of the lead givers in our church and I've been challenging them, and they've been responding. And I told them when I met with them that I was going to challenge you. Whether you can do an extra $25 a week or $25,000 as a one-time gift, God honors it all. God's not asking you to compare yourself to other people. He's asking you to be faithful. And I hope we've proven that we'll be faithful with those dollars. For example, instead of spending millions on a new student center, we upfit a building that already existed. What would have cost us seven or eight million cost us two and a half, and now we're ready to go. We've proven that over and over again, and we want to be wise with your dollars. And then finally, go. Why in the world would you have such a good story happening and not share it? I don't know if you've been watching the tragedy unfolding in Miami with the collapse of this condominium. The world is scrambling now to decide how this building could fall. This is not a developing world. This is the first world. This is the United States of America. We have tax codes and building codes and inspections. How could this happen? You know what I thought about as a Christian? I'll let engineers figure out how it could happen, and I praise God for the first responders who are working tirelessly, even now hoping they can find survivors. But this is what I thought about. I hope somebody shared Jesus with those folks. I guarantee you within a block of their building are Christians. Perhaps living in that same building are Christians. No doubt some of the people who have lost their lives, whose remains may never be recovered, are Christians. And the moment they died, they stepped into the presence of a living God and they're fine. But it just proves what a pandemic proved. It proves what social divisiveness and racial reconciliation and racial tensions prove. It proves what political divides prove. It proves the utter confusion of people over a subject so simple as gender. God has created them male and female in his image. It just proves people are lost. They, they need the gospel. And, and, and you don't have to go anymore to another city or another place. They're here. 
and you share. And often that hard conversation can be made much easier when you say, hey, I'd like to talk with you about my faith, but would, would you just come to church with me? We want you to use Church at the Meal as a tool. Inviting someone to church is not sharing the gospel, but often it may be that first step. And the statistics say that the vast majority of people who are invited will come if the person who invited them cares about them. So it's on me and it's on you. And that reminds us of our why. I told you I would read it briefly. Philippians 4, excuse me, Philippians 3, verse 12. Paul says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind me and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call in God, God in Christ Jesus. Now listen to this last part, verse 15, chapter 3. Let those who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. I love this passage. Paul says, you keep pressing. And you know what he says? Forgetting what is behind me is not a reference to his sin. Now, the Bible says don't live in your past. Don't define yourself the way God no longer defines you. So there's plenty of scripture to teach you not to let your regrets define you. But that's not this passage. He is not talking about regrets. He's actually talking about his wins. He's saying, I'm not going to focus on what God has already done in my life. I'm going to give him glory, but I'm not going to rest on it. I'm going to keep pressing until I meet him. I'm going to press on, and I'm going to hang on to what I've already been given. I'm going to hang on to him, and I'm going to press on. Could we enter a time of prayer as we close this halftime speech? Would you bow with me? We thought it would be rather appropriate this morning to just close with a time of prayer. I want you to take a moment in your own time with the Lord to thank him for what he's done in our church. He's done it through many of you. So just take a moment and praise him. As we enter this time, if you feel led, you're more than welcome to, to come to the altar and kneel if you like. Maybe you want to bow your head and fold your hands right where you're sitting. But all over this room, in your own way, could you thank the Lord for how he's blessed our church? Perhaps you'd take a minute to thank him in a way I can't. See, I don't know specifically how he's blessed you through our church. Only you know that. Would you thank him for the personal impact he's made on your life through the brothers and sisters in the bond of peace at this place? If he's used you, if you teach children, serve as an usher, park cars, write a tithe check, make a cup of coffee, visit the sick. 
if you do one of the hundreds of things people do around here to serve our church, would you thank him for the ability he's given you to serve? I promise you, no matter how small you feel your task is, the Lord of glory sees it. And it puts a smile on his face. Just about every conference I go to paints a picture of a dying church in America. Would you spend a moment thanking him that our church is alive? People are being saved. The Spirit of God is here. The Word of God is preached. We don't thank him arrogantly. We're not better than any Christian in any struggling churches but we're not going to miss the opportunity to say thank you. Would you ask him to bless the second half of our year? Not with our agenda or goals, but just say, Lord, show us your Teach us. Make us more faithful and obedient. Give us grace. Pour your spirit out on this place. to tell you the world's broken and it seems to be getting worse every day if we could spend all our time attacking the political environment the social environment we we could do that but but the gospel would demand for us to ask the question Lord what would you have us do I'm pretty sure ranting on social media never saved anybody with your head bowed, who's lost in your life that you'd love to see sitting beside you in the second half of this year at this church? What do you need to do? Text, a phone call, an act of kindness? You cannot save souls. God can use you to communicate and to show the gospel in people's lives. The low-hanging fruit is to get yourself to church on Sunday. The kingdom of God would demand that we live in such a way that we see others here with us. Finally, with all the sorrow and all the sadness, we 
Would you just take a moment to express your joy to the Lord? Tell him you love him. Thank him for being so good. Heavenly Father, as we conclude this service today, every number is a story of your faithfulness. Every life changed is a testimony of your goodness. Every dollar proves your faithfulness. And Lord, we recognize that we join the chorus of millions upon millions who love you. We do not, nor do we want a monopoly on you. We are not in any way sharing this good news to betray others or to portray that we have a gospel they don't have. No, no, no. But you have been good to us, and we will not fail to pause and honor you for that. In the Old Testament, when you moved mightily, you told people, stop, build an altar here, name this place, and worship me for your goodness. Lord, today, symbolically, we build an altar to you. We say, halfway through the year, you've blessed us more than most see in a lifetime. and We rejoice in that. And we know you do not bless us, that we would only enjoy it. You bless us to bless others. So as we leave this place, help us to be reminded in the way that we live and love others. When God's word is preached, when his kingdom is the focus, when his people share the bond of the Holy Spirit, the best way to describe that is that there is joy in the house of the Lord. So, Father, in this place, we close on that note and we declare it in song. And God's people said, amen. Let's stand and declare that this morning.